7 a.m. on the West Coast, 10 a.m. on the East Coast, 3 p.m. in London, 12 midnight in New South Wales, Australia. And in Malaysia, it's 1975. I'm Jay Sheldon, and I'm not wearing pants. Good morning, Luna Amethyst. Thank you for joining. Wherever you may be, we are triple casting, of course, as always, on every Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday night. On Facebook Live, I'm Not Wearing Pants is the page. Make sure you give us a like and a share. Uh, YouTube, Jay Sheldon is the channel. And twitch.tv, Jay Sheldon, no pants. You're wearing pants. That's okay. You're allowed. I am not, because I'm the one making the uh, declaration. So I am not wearing pants, but <clears throat> my audience can wear whatever you want or nothing at all. That's perfectly okay. Um, <laughs> oh, man. Uh, happy Tuesday. It is Tuesday, right? Yes, it is Tuesday. Thanks to Streambeats.com for the music uh, that we use in the beginning of our show and at the end. Uh, appreciate it. Free music for streamers. You'll find it there. It's copyright strike free. Streambeats.com. Uh, be sure you like, subscribe, share. We're well over 100 uh, subscribers on Twitch. Uh, YouTube is 350 something. 300. I forget. What is. Uh, I can't see it right now. Um, and. Uh, yeah, on uh, Facebook, our uh, I'm Not Wearing Pants page is. Two or three hundred uh, followers there. So thank you for that. Uh, we will do Peter Pan. We did not do Peter Pan in our last stream because we filled an hour. It was my 50th episode. So we had a very special guest, my brother Michael from uh, New Jersey, southern New Jersey. If you missed it, please, after tonight, watch back. It's episode 50, the very last one just before this. And uh, it is, it is funny. Uh, Michael is a talent and he's crazy and he loved it and he wants to come back. So that's great. Um, follow him on Instagram. I think it's called not the robots, N-O-T-T-H-E-R-O-B-O-T-S at not the robots is Michael's uh, Instagram. Very funny content over there. Uh, Luna just woke up, was up way too late last night. Well, I hope it was for some good reason, uh, whatever that might be. If you would like to be in touch and Skype is not your thing, which is fine. We do have Skype. You just uh, type in Jay Sheldon on Skype or call 1-860-598-0987. We'll put you on the air. <clears throat> Talk about whatever you want, what I'm talking about. Bring up a new subject. Perfectly okay. But you can also get in touch, make show suggestions, guest suggestions, things you'd like to talk about, uh, opinions, critiques. I answer all my emails. We've gotten a lot of emails. And uh, that is nopants at jsheldon.com. Nopants at jsheldon.com. I check my email there regularly and I answer uh, I'll answer you right back. I'll reply for sure. And we will hopefully use some of your suggestions 
here on the air. So also merchandise, of course, on twitch.tv. If you are searching around my channel, go to the about section and over there you will find a, uh, a, a link to Jay Sheldon No Pants merchandise. You can pick up a hoodie, a t-shirt, a mouse pad, a coffee cup, I think. Uh, there's some rather cool stuff there if you are so inclined. And wherever you may be, uh, we're going to talk about uh, some things tonight that I have uh, found and that are... Thanks, Fies Ismail, uh, for the like. Appreciate that. Thank you so much. Very, very cool. Nice to have you along for the ride. Um, we're going to talk about some things that I uh, I, I found uh, over the... There you go. Uh, I found over the last uh, couple of days. Like I said, Saturday was a, was a total... Uh, different format show. We had Michael as our guest, and uh, that's about all we had time for all night, but that's okay. It was well worth the time. Um, yes, by the way, I did get a haircut. Check it out. Is that tight or what? Yes, this is the cop haircut that I always used to have. I found a new Mamak barber who does a really good job because my old barber was closed. I don't know if it's Ramadan or what, or hopefully he didn't go out of business. But it's okay. I found another guy. He's very good. Did a really good job. Um, yeah. So anyway, um, that was about it. Uh, Miko's doing well. And matter of fact, she's downstairs sleeping right now. Uh, she usually chills while I'm on the stream here, unless I call her and get her up on the air. She hasn't been on in a while, so. Um, we'll, we'll try and bring her back. If she shows up tonight, fine. If not, then maybe Thursday we'll, um, <clears throat> we'll get her on in the start of the show. Um, she misses you, I'm sure. Um, so that is about all that's new with, uh, with me. We have new episodes of our, sh uh, what, what Luna says, I need to get my haircut. Hair is getting really, well, get your haircut. I had such a busy day today. I did so much stuff. Of course, I was working from home. So I'm doing uh, the shows, uh, Urban Jungle Food and Random Acts, among other projects we're working on. And by the way, please do give a like. It's on Facebook. You'll find Urban Jungle Food and Random Acts, uh, Random Acts Malaysia. <clears throat> and uh, give those give those shows a like. Appreciate that. And we'll have new episodes coming up. And in fact, we've got a Ramadan special. And for Urban Jungle Food, we are planning. We haven't announced it yet. So I'm giving you a little inside baseball. We're going to do a live episode for uh, Buka Puasa. That's going to be coming up uh, in a week or two. A couple weeks, I think. Um, so look for that. Like the page and uh, share the page. Appreciate that. Um, what was I talking about? I'm talking about my busy day. Oh, my God. I got a haircut. I dropped a rug off at the dry cleaners. I got my car serviced. Was something else? Oh, I also got my car uh, washed because it, it... Oh, my God. <laughs> Such a mess. My car sits in the driveway like six days a week. And the one day I go in the office, which actually will be tomorrow, um, is about the only day it goes anywhere. So it just sits outside and collects dust. Um, if we have anything besides heat in Malaysia, it's dust. If we could find a way to export dust, we would be in like Flint. It would be very cool. Um, speaking of very cool, this is about the coolest thing I have seen in forever. 
this, of course, you have to have seen this by now. If you were anywhere on social media, I'm sure you did. But this is the NASA Ingenuity helicopter, and it made its historic Mars flight and, uh, on Monday. I, I'm telling you, I am so into this crap. I posted like 50 different links on my Facebook page uh, with this. The, the footage is not all that great. It skips a bit, but it, if you haven't seen it here, I'll play it for you. You'll see right down here, it's kind of hard. To, there it goes, takes off. Check it out. Hovers there for a while. And they say it performed exactly the way they did in the tester. And then suddenly the thing, uh, they're all excited. This is the mission specialist, I guess. This is the woman who's in charge, I think, of the, uh, of the flight itself. So it hovers there and then, boom, back down and lands. Look at that. 1% of the atmosphere on Mars that there is on Earth. So they were spinning up at about uh, 2,500 RPMs, I think she said. Um, yeah, that is so cool. That is just unbelievable. The good old, let's get back to that again. There we go. So cool. Um, what an accomplishment. And uh, I, I, I talked about this earlier, that they had included a small piece of cloth from the Wright Brothers' original first flight airplane, either on board the uh, the Ingenuity or on the uh, on the Mars rover, um, which is what brought Ingenuity to Mars. Uh, so I, anyway, it's it's up there. So there's a little small piece of cloth from the Wright Brothers' first manned flight um, way back at the turn of the 20th century. 19 whatever it was um very very cool incredible all right uh oh you know what i knew this was going to be screwed up now i gotta make adjustments here oh my goodness and uh okay here we go i'm gonna move this over here see i know what i'm doing i got this i saw this and it just strikes home it's something to think about okay and it's done in the form of a twilight zone. So imagine, if you will, a virus so deadly that face masks are thrown away in a regular garbage can instead of using a biohazard bin. Hmm? Yeah. Not only in garbage cans, but thrown on the side of the road, in culverts, in wherever... I mean, you find these things everywhere. So if this whole thing is so serious and we need to be so cautious, why aren't there biohazard bins everywhere to put your masks in? In fact, I'm not sure that I've seen one except perhaps at a hospital. Mm. Zubaida, you're here. All right. Zubaida and I uh, work together. We are... Uh, we are colleagues. It is great to see you, Zubaida. Thank you for uh, for popping in. I appreciate that. Nice, uh, nice to have you along for the ride, and uh, thanks for the like and the share. Uh, very cool. Thank you. Mm, all right, this guy, this guy was on my uh, on my list of my header tonight, at of things to talk about because I I saw this posted. This, of course, if you don't know, is Paul Newman. Paul Newman 
was an amazing actor, an incredible talent. He uh, started his own salad dressing, which is actually really nice and uh, expensive, but really nice. Morning, Serena Lee. Hey, Serena. Oh, my God. I shared one of your things tonight. Thank you for the like, uh, Subida. And uh, Serena, I actually shared something. that. In fact, I think maybe that last one I put up there was from you. Thank you for that. Um, I might have another one because you're, you're always posting things that I'm like, yes. Uh, so keep up the good work and thank you. Um, all right. Paul Newman, quick story. I, I've told you before, and we talked, in fact, with my brother Michael's special on last Saturday night, our 50th show. Um, we talked about growing up in Cornwall, Connecticut. And in fact, specifically, I was born in East Cornwall and then moved the, you know, three miles to West Cornwall, where I used to work. One of my first real jobs was working stocking shelves at Utzler's Country Store. Um, as far as I know, they're still in business, but Dutch and Fred and Carl no longer own the place. In fact, I'm quite sure they've all passed on by now. But um, I worked as a grocery clerk. It was a little tiny country store. It had three aisles. It had five and ten cent ice cream uh, cones. And, you know, it had a little tiny one and a bigger one. Literally five cent ice cream cones. Could you imagine? Even at the exchange rate, that's cheap as hell. Um, I'll get another 30-day ban on Facebook soon. Go for it, Serena. Serena. Go for it. Go for it. You never give up. That's what I love about you. Um, all right. Anyway, so I uh, I worked at Utzler's um, store, uh, stocking shelves, and also worked at the checkout counter and slicing cheese and doing all scooping ice cream. Um, and among the things we did, because we were a little country store in a little tiny town, is we would carry customers' groceries out to their car if they needed it or wanted it, or or if, you know, we would just do that. We would carry the groceries out to the customers' cars for them. <clears throat> I would check them out, pack the grass, back when we used paper bags. By the way, remember when we used paper bags and then we replaced it with plastic to save the trees? Yeah, that didn't work out well, did it? Anyway... I am, I, I got to cut this story short. We'll be here all night. I am walking out, arms full of groceries, and I'm headed towards this customer's car. And I forget what kind of car it was, but it was some hot, expensive, souped up sports car that comes around the corner down the hill and right by Utzler's store in the parking lot and comes to a stop right next to me, you know, with the muffler going. And the, the, the window rolls down, and the guy inside, honestly, I can't remember what he asked, but he was looking for directions to something. And so I leaned over, because the, it was a low sports car, little two-seater. I leaned over, and, um, you know, because the guy goes, hey, excuse me. So I lean over and I lean in into the window. And um, this was back in the days when we trusted people. And I would never do that today. Um, the guy says, could you tell me where whatever it is is? 
And I said, you go down through the covered bridge, you go south on Route 7, you wind up in Cornwall. I think it was a hardware store, something like that. And then all of a sudden, I recognized who this guy was. It was that guy, Paul Newman. And I must have had a look on my face like, Holy crap, that's Paul Newman. And this guy kind of looks, cocks his head, gives me a wink and a smile, and then he goes, thanks, and takes off. Uh, Now, by way of explanation, Paul Newman used to race at Lime Rock Racetrack, a world-famous racetrack in Lime Rock, which is just a short distance away from where we were in West Cornwall. And so I don't know that he had a home around there. He must have, maybe in Sharon, Connecticut, which is the next town over. But uh, Paul would race at Lime Rock Track, and obviously he was coming through town, and we had a lot of very famous people that lived in town, uh, Whoopi Goldberg, Michael J. Fox, uh, Tom Brokaw, uh, the list goes on and on, oh, tons of celebrities that lived there, and a lot of behind-the-scenes people in television, film. Um, but, yeah, so, excuse me, uh, could you tell me where the hardware store is? It's down there, and you go down, and you go, and then suddenly I was like, holy crap. And he just does that head cock and that wink and thanks. Off he goes. It was very cool. He was a really, it was a really cool experience. Um, I ran into uh, Whoopi in the uh, liquor store, the package store, as we call them. And uh, yeah, that was, that was, uh, that was my encounter with the, uh, with the amazing Paul Newman. And, uh, oh, I found this too. You got to check this out. Who did? Oh, Leslie. Leslie posted this. I give him a credit for this. Um, check this out. Looks like a really dope concert, doesn't it? Huh? You see all the, uh, wait, let me get my mouse back. You see all the, all the people here and the, the stage and the lighting and everything. Looks like a very cool concert until you realize it's a cotton harvester. seriously doesn't that look like a concert shot like this is cotton these are not people and that is a giant harvester that's harvesting the cotton but it really does look night podcast (laughs) are you saying good night Zubaida or are you just mentioning that it is a night podcast Uh, I have no idea Um, okay oh love this love this Saw a quote, and this is what it said, and you really need to to take this to heart. Write it down, tattoo it on your forehead. Speak to people in a way that if they died the next day, you'd be satisfied with the last thing you said to them. Can't emphasize that enough. Think about that before you open your mouth and say nasty things. Speak to people in a way that if they passed away the very next day, You'd be satisfied with what it was that was the last thing you said to them. Yeah, nice. All right. Oh, I got to readjust this. Damn it. Ah, this bloody thing. All right. 
hang on, we're doing this live, so you get to see it happen as it happens. But I got to give these guys a big thumbs up. Two Malaysian students beat over 50,000 global applicants and earned their spot at Harvard. And here they are. Only 3.43% of applicants were accepted into the class of 2025. And uh, let me just, uh, let's see. They are Gerald Chongzi Wen from KL and Mohammed Hamdi Ahmad Akimi from Kuantan, Pahang. And they have earned their rights, uh, their rightful spot in the class of 2025. A huge congratulations to uh, to them. I will uh, like a concert. I'll go confess my crush. <laughs> okay, you do that. Um, this is another cool thing I saw. I, I see these things. I see photographs of these things all the time but I never actually have seen one for real. People do this. It's an art form. I would not have the patience. I mean, I am a patient man. I am a very patient man. But this, this is a level of patience I do not have. But um, this is Koke Mukuni uh, from Japan. And he is a stone balancer. Look at this. Look at this. Look at that right there. How the hell? These are not glued. They're just balanced there. And you can find amazing uh, balanced stones. Uh, I don't, you know, they last until they don't last. And, and it's just incredible. In our somewhat shaken life, a little balance wouldn't hurt. And uh, Koke. Kimuni masters the art of stone or rock balancing, which consists of stacking stones without using the slightest uh, artifice, glue, adhesive, uh, literally defying the laws of gravity. Check that out. That is amazing. Look at this. Look at this. They're just simply balanced. That's insane. And like I said, the whoa. Oh, man, this is Serena. You love doing this? Serious? You do this. This is crazy. Look at that. On, oh, it, it's even taller. Holy crap. Look at that little one right there. Right there. That's amazing. Incredible. Look at, look at that. I mean, I know, what am I sharing this for? But it's fascinating. And these are the things that kind of, whoa, fascinate me. Oh, look at that. Look at that. I wish I could zoom this out, but I can't. So not that technically savvy. Oh, you use Gorilla Glue. <laughs> yeah, okay, you. Uh, Invis Toby, hey, welcome. Uh, lurking, sorry, missed the weekend interview. It's okay. It's still online. You can check it out while it lasts on twitch.tv. It's our last show before this one. And, uh, Facebook, of course, it'll always be there. Facebook Live, I'm Not Wearing Pants, or Jay Sheldon's uh, YouTube channel. You can check it out there. Okay. I, I just, I had to share this because it is absolutely mesmerizing. Incredible. Unbelievable. Okay. And this I had actually planned on talking about briefly. 
Um, it's just another one of those cool things, but it's cool. Trust me. Um, and, and that was the night when the stream wouldn't work. So mm, there you go. Uh, this is, <laughs> that is 20 meters of snow in Toyama. The Tateyama Krobe Alpine Route winds through the Hida Mountains, also called the Northern Alps, between uh, Toyama Prefecture and Nagano. Uh, along the trail lie virgin forests, massive thousand-year-old trees, a vast wetland region 2,000 meters above sea level. Uh, Shomyo Falls, Japan's tallest waterfall, 350 meters. Wow. Um, and this is a towering wall of snow that's formed every spring. Uh, it receives some of the heaviest snowfall on the planet. Accumulations get as high as 66 feet, 20 meters. Um, about a seven-story building, that's how high that is. And come spring... They have 30-ton snow cutters that are equipped with GPS that come through and cut the snow like this. This is insane. And that's so the buses can get through the passes. Look at that. Unbelievable. Wow. That's nuts. That is truly nuts. I have seen snow... In Goshen, Connecticut, there's a place by the golf course in Goshen where the wind blows across the top of the hill and there's a highway, a, a highway, it's a two-lane blacktop that I think it's Route 4 that goes over top of this hill. And that can get, I've seen the snow in like the blizzard of 78, I think it was, where it went up past the telephone poles. I don't know how tall a telephone pole is. I would guess maybe 30 or 40 feet. So that was up there. But it, it you know, not as tall as this. But, um, but that was some amazing snow back then. That was incredible. And, okay, finally, before we move on to, uh, to Peter Pan, I wanted to share this because it is so good. If you are struggling in life and you wonder if you are wasting your time doing things hobbies your work whatever it is that you do during the day in life this is from um kurt vonnegut and it really is it just take a few minutes to tell this story but um pay attention because it has such a deep meaning, and I think it may change your life. It really may change your life. Listen closely, please. It was a nasty storm. Indeed, it was. <clears throat> okay. Uh, this is written... Hey! Thank you so much. Appreciate that. Thank you, indeed. I'm sorry, I can't read your name. Crew? Sorry, I missed it. Thank you so much. I will give you proper credit. I just, it's so small on the screen, I couldn't see it there. Thank you, thank you, thank you for that donation. If you would like, by the way, to do uh, what just happened, you can click on that and make a donation. Or on Facebook, you'll see a link 
in the description above. It'll get you to the same place. Okay, this is written in the first person by uh, Kurt Vonnegut, but, but please listen closely. It, it substantially will change your life. When I was 15, I spent a month working on an archaeological dig, and I was talking to one of the archaeologists one day during our lunch break, and he asked those kinds of getting-to-know-you questions. Oh, Fies, thank you. It was you. <laughs> thank you very much, Fies. Appreciate that so much. Thank you, thank you, Fies. Um, okay, so he was asking these getting-to-know-you questions that you often will ask young people. Do you play sports? What's your favorite subject? And I told him, no, I, I don't play any sports. I do theater. I'm in a choir. I play violin and piano. I used to take art classes. And he went, wow, that's amazing. And I said, oh, no, I'm not really good at any of them. And then he said something that I will never forget, which is absolutely blew my mind because no one has ever said anything like it to me before. And here's what he said. I don't think being good at things is the point of doing them. I think you've got all these wonderful experiences with different skills, and that all teaches you things and makes you an interesting person, no matter how well you do them or not. Whether or not you're good at something doesn't matter. It's the experience of doing whatever it may be that you do. Play sports, play music, do theater, play the piano, play the drums, play the bagpipes. He writes, that honestly changed my life because I went from being a failure, someone who hadn't been talented enough at anything to excel, to someone who did things because I enjoyed them. I had been raised in such an achievement-oriented environment, so inundated with the myth of talent, that I thought it was only worth doing if you could win at them. It is not. The winning is in the doing. And I will tell you something. This certainly applies in the America that I knew 20 years ago and for the previous 40 years. But when I moved to Southeast Asia, let me tell you something. <laughs> the pressure on people, young people in particular, to succeed, to do better than the next guy. You have to go to the best schools. You have to get A's. You, you have to do the best you can do. Well, you know what? Bullshit. It's in the doing. It's not in the winning. So moms and dads all over the planet, but in particular in Southeast Asia, from my own experience, lay off. Let your kids experience life. Let them try stuff. Let them do stuff. And they do not have to win at it. They do not have to be the best at it. They can just do it and enjoy it and enjoy the experience. I feel very strongly about that. I suppose you can tell. 
But I saw that from Kurt Vonnegut and I thought, damn it, yes, that's exactly right. And people need to learn that. Take it to heart. Do whatever it is you want to do and enjoy it. And do not feel you have to be the best at it. You just have to do it. Wow. All right. I'm really getting great at being banned from Facebook. No, no, not me. That's Serena. <laughs> if you're on twitch.tv, you're missing the Facebook comments. If you're on Facebook, you're missing, missing the Twitch comments. And everybody's missing the YouTube comments. So I have them all in one place here, a multi-stream chat. And I can see where people are and what they're saying. Uh, I can't reply in the chat. I can only reply here, but that's fine. Um, so... <laughs> I wish they would be able to cross-figure all these things so everybody could uh, could see everybody, but that's all right. Everybody's got their own little communities going on here and everything that's happening, so that's fine. Um, oh, I, okay, I can't get into this now, but I had another piece of content from like eight years ago taken down off of my Facebook page. I don't know. What, it's... Do they just randomly go through people's profiles? I mean, this thing was years ago. It was a joke, obviously, but either the AI or the Facebook checkers aren't smart enough to realize when something is a joke, and so they marked it and deleted it. I'll, I'll show you because I screen captured it. It's the dumbest freaking thing ever, but it's not the first time. Uh, I've got two, now, uh, two episodes now of Facebook um, cutting something out because they don't understand what comedy is. Yeah. Um, okay. What is shock? Oh, there. There. That's for Facebook's AI. <laughs> uh, good luck with the getting banned, Serena. Uh, I, I wish you the best. And I always miss you when you are in jail on Facebook. Um, so when you wind up in jail, please come back soon and uh, dance on that line as often as you can. <clears throat> All right. I need a little bit more coffee. Just forgive me. Hold on one second. Oh, by the way, you love my shirt? Is that cool? That's a sloth hanging on to the box. It's a sloth. I love sloths. Wow, that mic's really sensitive. It's picking up everything tonight. <clears throat> okay, know what time it is? Yes, it is time to move on to Peter Pan. We're doing chapter three tonight. Um, we did not get a chance for like two nights in a row uh, because Thursday of last week, we had a complete technical meltdown. I didn't get on the air. I did a quick recording, which I posted, uh, that it was explaining that everything is mucked up. And then, of course, Saturday night was our 50th anniversary, a 50th show uh, special with my brother Michael, which turned out to be really funny. If you missed it, please watch the previous stream after this one. Wait till this one's over, and then uh, give a watch on the on the stream uh, from it's our 50th show, show 50, episode 50, and that's uh, with my brother Michael from live from New Jersey. He's crazy. We got to have him back. We will do that. He wants to come back. So we'll have him back on soon. Okay. Uh, by way of explanation, if you're new to the stream, um, 
They're bots. Go to your setting and click on block friends. Hold on. Type in bots and delete them. Really? I will do that. All right. Thank you. Thanks, Serena. You would know. You would know of anybody. <laughs> um, okay. Uh, if, if you don't know, uh, at the end of every stream, we spend the last 20 minutes or so reading a book, a chapter from a book normally. Uh, we started with The Wonderful Wizard of Oz. And then we moved on to the Velveteen Rabbit. And now we are doing Peter Pan. And uh, these are all come to us from the good folks at the Gutenberg Project. That's Gutenberg.org. You can go there, find free, copyright-free, public domain books. All the classics are there from whatever genre you can imagine. It's all there. If it's public domain, you'll find it at the Gutenberg Project. I encourage you to go there, help support them. So Peter Pan is in the public domain. And indeed, that's the uh, the book that we pick next. Um, we are on chapter three, and it is called Come Away, Come Away. So without further ado, for a moment, after Mrs. and Mrs. Darling left the house, the nightlights by the beds of the three children continued to burn clearly. They were awfully nice little nightlights, and one cannot help wishing that they could have kept awake to see Peter. But Wendy's light blinked and gave such a yawn that the other two yawned also, and before they could close their mouths, all three went out. There was another light in the room now, a thousand times brighter than the nightlights, and in the time we have taken to say this, it had been in all the drawers in the nursery, looking for Peter's shadow. Rummaging the wardrobe, turned every pocket inside out, it was not really a light. It made this light by flashing about so quickly, but when it came to rest for a second, you saw it was a fairy. No longer than your hand, but still growing. It was a girl called Tinkerbell, exquisitely ground in a skeleton leaf, cut low and square, through which her figure could be seen to the best advantage. She was slightly inclined to embonpoint. A moment after the fairy's entrance, the window was blown open by the breath of the little stars, and Peter dropped in. He had carried Tinkerbell part of the way, and his hand was still messy with fairy dust. Tinkerbell, he called softly, after making sure that the children were asleep. Tink, where are you? She was in a jug for the moment, and liked it extremely. She had never been in a jug before. Oh, do come out of that jug and tell me, do you know where they put my shadow? The loveliest tinkle, as of golden bells, answered him. It is the fairy language. You ordinary children can never hear it. But if you were to hear it, you would know that you had heard it once before. Tink said that the shadow was in the big box. She meant the chest of drawers, 
and Peter jumped at the drawers, scattering their contents to the floor with both hands as kings toss halfpence to the crowd. In a moment, he had recovered his shadow, and in his delight, he forgot that he had shut Tinkerbell up in the drawer. If he thought at all, but I don't believe he ever thought, it was that he and his shadow, when brought near each other, would join like drops of water, and when they did not, he was appalled. He tried to stick it on with soap from the bathroom, but that also failed. A shudder passed through Peter, and he sat on the floor and cried. His sobs woke Wendy, and she sat up in bed. She was not alarmed to see a stranger crying in the nursery floor. She was only pleasantly interested. Boy, she said curiously, why are you crying? Peter could be exceedingly polite, having learned the grand manner at fairy ceremonies, and he rose and bowed to her beautifully. She was much pleased and bowed beautifully to him from the bed. What's your name? he asked. Wendy Moira Angela Darling, she replied with some satisfaction. And what is your name? Peter Pan. She was already sure that he must be Peter, but it did seem a comparatively short name. Is that all? Yes, he said rather sharply. He felt for the first time it was a shortish name. Well, I'm so sorry, said Wendy Moira Angela. It doesn't matter, Peter gulped. She asked where he lived. Second to the right, said Peter, and then straight on till morning. What a funny address. Peter had a sinking. For the first time he felt that Perhaps it was a funny address. No, it isn't, he said. I mean, Wendy said nicely, remembering that she was the hostess. Is that what they put on the letters? She wished she hadn't mentioned letters. Don't get any letters, he said contemptuously. But your mother gets letters. Don't have a mother, he said. Not only had he no mother, but he had not the slightest desire to have one. He thought them very overrated persons. Wendy, however, felt at once that she was in the presence of a tragedy. Oh, Peter, no wonder you were crying, she said, and got out of bed and ran to him. I wasn't crying about mothers, he said rather indignantly. I was crying because I can't get my shadow to stick on. Besides, I wasn't crying. Has it come off? Yes. Then Wendy saw the shadow on the floor, looking so draggled, and she was frightfully sorry for Peter. How awful, she said. But she couldn't help but smile when she saw that he'd been trying to stick it on with soap. How exactly like a boy. Fortunately, she knew at once what to do. It must be sewn on, she said, just a little patronizingly. What's sewn? he asked. You're dreadfully ignorant, 
No, I'm not. But she was exalted in his ignorance. I shall sew it on for you, my little man, she said, though he was tall as herself. And she got her housewife and sewed the shadow onto Peter's foot. I dare say it will hurt a little, she warned him. Oh, I shan't cry, said Peter, who was already of the opinion that he had never cried in his life. And he clenched his teeth, and he did not cry. And soon his shadow was behaving properly, though still a little creased. Perhaps I should have ironed it, Wendy said thoughtfully, but Peter, boylike, was indifference to appearances, and he now was jumping about in the wildest glee. At last he had already forgotten that he owed his bliss to Wendy. He thought he had attached the shadow himself. How clever I am, he crowed rapturously. Oh, the cleverness of me! It is humiliating, humiliating to have to confess that this conceit of Peter was one of his most fascinating qualities. To put it with brutal frankness, there was never a cockier boy. But for the moment, Wendy was shocked. You conceit, she exclaimed with rightful sarcasm. Of course, I did nothing. Well, you did a little. Peter said carelessly, and continued to dance. A little, she replied with hauteur. If I am no use, I can at least withdraw. And she sprang in the most dignified way into bed, and covered her face with the blankets. To induce her to look up, he pretended to be going away. And when this failed, he sat on the end of the bed and tapped her gently with his foot. Wendy, he said, don't withdraw. I can't help crowing, Wendy, when I'm pleased with myself. Still, she would not look up, though she was eagerly listening. Wendy, he continued in a voice that no woman had yet been able to resist. Wendy, one girl is more use than twenty boys. Now, Wendy was every inch a woman, though there were not very many inches, and she peeped out of the bedclothes. You really think so, Peter? Yes, I do. I think it's perfectly sweet of you, she declared, and I'll get up again. And she sat with him on the side of the bed. She also said that she would give him a kiss if he liked but Peter did not know what she meant, and he held out his hand expectantly. Uh, surely you know what a kiss is, she asked, aghast. I shall know when you give it to me, he replied stiffly, and not to hurt his feelings, she gave him a thimble. Now, said he, shall I give you a kiss? And she replied with a slight primness. If you please... She made herself rather cheap by inclining her face towards him, but he merely dropped an acorn button into her hand, and she slowly returned her face to where it had been before, and said nicely that 
she would wear his kiss on the chain around her neck. It was lucky that she did put it on that chain, for it was afterwards to save her life. When people in our set are introduced, it is customary for them to ask each other's age. And so Wendy, who always liked to do the correct thing, asked Peter how old he was. It was not really a happy question to ask him. It was like an examination paper that asks grammar, when what you want to be asked is kings of England. Mm, I don't know, he replied uneasily, but I'm quite young. He really knew nothing about it. He had merely suspicions, but he said that at, at a venture, Wendy, I ran away the day I was born. Well, Wendy was quite surprised, but interested, and she indicated in the charming drawing-room manner, by a touch on her nightgown, that he could sit nearer her. It was because I heard father and mother, he explained in a low voice, talking about what I was to be when I became a man. He was extraordinarily ag aggravated now. I don't want ever to be a man, he said with passion. I want always to be a little boy and have fun. So I ran away to Kensington Gardens and lived a long, long time among the fairies. She gave him a look of the most intense admiration, and he thought it was because he had run away but it was really because he knew fairies. Wendy lived in such a home that to know fairies struck her as quite delightful. She poured out questions about them, to his surprise, for they were rather a nuisance to him, getting in his way and so on, and indeed he sometimes had to be, had to give them a hiding. Still, she liked them on the whole, and she, he told her about the beginning of fairies. You see, Wendy, when the first baby laughed, for the first time, its laugh broke into a thousand pieces, and they all went skipping about, and that was the beginning of fairies. Tedious talk, this, but being a stay-at-home, she liked it. And so, he went on good-naturedly, there ought to be one fairy for every boy and girl. Ought to be. There isn't? Oh, no. You see, children know such a lot now. They soon don't believe in fairies. And every time a child says, I don't believe in fairies, there is a fairy somewhere that falls down dead. Really, he thought that they had now talked enough about fairies, and it struck him that Tinkerbell was keeping very quiet. I can, can't think where she's gone to, he said, rising, and he called Tink by name. Wendy's heart went flutter with a sudden thrill. Peter, she cried, clutching him, you don't mean to tell me that there is a fairy in this room? Oh, she was here just now, he said a little impatiently. You don't hear her, do you? And they both listened. The only sound I hear, said Wendy, is like a tinkle of bells. Well, that's tink. That's the fairy language. 
I think I can hear her too. The sound came from the chest of drawers, and Peter made a merry face. No one could ever look quite so merry as Peter, and the loveliest of gurgles was his laugh, and had his first laugh still. Wendy, she whispered gleefully, I do believe I shut her up in the drawer. He let poor Tink out of the drawer, and she flew about the nursery, screaming with fury. You shouldn't say such things, Peter retorted. Of course I'm very sorry, but how could I know you were in the drawer? Wendy was not listening to him. Oh, Peter, she cried, if she would only stand still and let me see her. Oh, they hardly ever stand still, he said, but for one moment... Wendy saw the romantic figure come to rest on the cuckoo clock. Oh, the lovely, she cried, though Tink's face was still distorted with passion. Tink, Peter said amiably, this lady says she wishes you were her fairy. Tinkerbell answered insolently. What does she say, Peter? He had to translate. She is not very polite. She says you are a great ugly girl, and that she is my fairy. He tried to argue with Tink. You know you can't be my fairy, Tink, because I am a gentleman, and you're a lady. To this, Twink replied in these words, You silly ass, and disappeared into the bathroom. She's quite a common fairy, Peter explained apologetically. She's called Tinkerbell because she mends the pots and kettles. They were together in the armchair by this time, and Wendy plied him with more questions. If you don't live in Kensington Gardens now, sometimes I still do, but where do you live mostly now? With the lost boys. Well, who are they? They are the children who fall out of their perambulators and when the nurse is looking the other way, if they're not claimed in seven days, they're sent far away to the Neverland to defray expenses. I'm captain. What fun it must be. Oh, yes, said Peter, but we are rather lonely. You see, we have no female companionship. Are none of the others girls? Oh, no girls, you know. They're much too clever to fall out of their prams. This flattered Wendy immensely. I think, she said, it is perfectly lovely the way you talk about girls. John there just despises us. For Peter, re for reply, Peter rose and kicked John out of bed. Blankets and all, one kick. This seemed to Wendy rather forward for a first meeting, and she told him with spirit that he was not the captain in her house. However, John continued sleeping so passively on the floor that she allowed him to remain there. And I know you meant to be kind, she said, relenting, so you may give me a kiss. For the moment, she'd forgotten his ignorance about kisses. I thought you would want it back, he said a little bitterly, and offered to return her the thimble. Oh, dear, said the nice Wendy, I don't mean a kiss. I mean a thimble. What's that? It's like this. 
and she kissed him. Funny, said Peter gravely. Now, shall I give you a thimble? If you wish to, said Wendy, keeping her head erect this time. Peter thimbled her, and almost immediately she screeched. What is it, Wendy? It was exactly as if someone were pulling my hair. That must have been Tink. I never knew her so naughty before. And indeed, Tink was darting about again, using offensive language. She says she will do that to you, Wendy, every time I give you a thimble. Uh, but why? Why, Tink? Again, Tink replied, You silly ass. Peter could not understand why, but Wendy understood, and she was just slightly disappointed when he admitted that he'd come to the nursery window not to see her, but to listen to stories. You see, I don't know any stories. None of the lost boys know any stories. Well, how perfectly awful, Wendy said. Do you know, Peter asked, why swallows build in the eaves of houses? It is to listen to the stories. Oh, Wendy, your mother was telling you such a lovely story. What story was it? About the prince who couldn't find the lady who wore the glass slipper? Peter, said Wendy excitedly, that was Cinderella, and he found her, and they lived happily ever after. Peter was so glad that he rose from the floor where they'd been sitting and hurried to the window. Where are you going? she cried misgivingly. To tell the other boys. Oh, don't go, Peter, she entreated. I know such lots of stories. Those were her precise words, so there can be no denying that it was she who first tempted him. He came back, and there was a greedy look in his eyes now, which ought to have alarmed her, but it did not. Oh, the stories I could tell to the boys, she cried, and then Peter gripped her and began to draw her toward the window. Let me go, she ordered him. Wendy, do come with me and tell the other boys. Of course, she was very pleased to be asked, but she said, Oh, dear, I can't. Think of Mummy. Besides, I can't fly. Oh, I'll teach you. Oh, how lovely to fly. I'll teach you how to jump on the wind's back, and then away we'll go. Oh, she claimed. Wendy, Wendy, when you are sleeping in your silly bed, you ought to be flying about with me, saying funny things to the stars. Ooh, and Wendy, there are mermaids. Mermaids with tails? Such long tails. Oh, cried Wendy, to see a mermaid. He'd become frighteningly cunning. Wendy, he said, how we should all respect you. She was wriggling her body in distress, but it was quite as if she were trying to remain on the nursery floor. But he had no pity for her. Wendy, he said, the sly one, you could tuck us in at night. Ooh, none of us has ever been tucked in at night. Oh, and her arms went out to him. And you could darn our clothes and make pockets for us. 
None of us have any pockets. How could she resist? Of course, it's awfully fascinating, she cried. Peter, would you teach John and Michael to fly, too? Mm, if you like, he said indifferently. And he ran to John and Michael and shook them. Wake up, she cried. Peter Pan has come, and he is going to teach us to fly. John rubbed his eyes. Then I shall get up, he said. Of course, he was on the floor already. Hello, he said. I'm up. Michael was up by this time also, looking as sharp as a knife with six blades and a saw. But Peter suddenly signed silence. Their faces assumed the awful craftiness of children listening for sounds from the grown-up world. All was as still as salt. And then everything was right. No, stop. Everything was wrong. Nana, who had been barking distressfully all evening, was quiet now. And it was her silence that they had heard. Out with the light! Hide! Quick! cried John, taking command for the only time throughout the whole adventure. And thus, when Liza entered, holding Nana, the nursery seemed quite its old self. Very dark, and you would have sworn you heard its three wicked inmates breathing angelically as they slept. They were really doing it artfully from behind the window curtain. Lisa was in a bad temper, for she was mixing the Christmas puddings in the kitchen, and had been drawn from them with a raisin still on her cheek by Nana's absurd suspicious. She had thought the best way of getting a little quiet was to take Nana to the nursery for a moment, but in custody, of course. "'There, you suspicious brute,' she said, not sorry that Nana was in disgrace. "'They are perfectly safe, aren't they?' Every one of the little angels, sound asleep in their bed, listened to their gentle breathing. Here, Michael, encouraged by his success, breathed so loudly that they were nearly detected. Nana knew that kind of breathing, and she tried to drag herself out of Lisa's clutches. But Lisa was dense. No more of it, Nana, she said sternly, pulling her out of the room. I warn you, if you bark again, I will go straight for Master and Mrs. and bring them home from the party. And then, ho, oh, won't Master whip you just. She tied the unhappy dog up again. But do you think Nana ceased to bark? Bring Master and Mrs. home from the party. Why, that was just what she wanted. Do you think she cared whether she was whipped so long as her charges were safe? Unfortunately, Lisa had returned to her puddings, and Nana, seeing that no help would come from her, strained and strained at the chain, until at last she broke it. In another moment, she had burst into the dining room of 27 and flung her paws to heaven, her most expressive way of making a communication. Mr. and Mrs. Darling knew at once that something terrible was happening in the nursery, and without a good-bye to their hostess, they rushed into the street. But it was now ten minutes since three scoundrels had been breathing behind the curtains, and Peter can do a great deal in ten minutes. We now return to the nursery. It's all right, John announced, emerging from his hiding place. I say, Peter, can you really fly? 
Well, instead of troubling to answer him, Peter flew around the room, taking the mantelpiece on the way. How topping, said Michael and John. How sweet, cried Wendy. Yes, I'm sweet. Oh, I am sweet, said Peter, forgetting his manners again. It looked delightfully easy, and they tried it at first from the floor and then from the beds, but they always went down instead of up. I say, how do you do it, said John, rubbing his knee. It was He was quite a practical boy. Well, you just think lovely, wonderful thoughts, Peter explained, and they lift you up in the air. He showed them again. You're so nippy at it, John said. Couldn't you do it very slowly once? Peter did it both slowly and quickly. I've got it now, Wendy, cried John, but soon he found he had not. Not one of them could fly an inch, even though Michael was in words of two syllables and Peter did not know A from Z. Of course, Peter had been trifling with them, for no one can fly unless fairy dust has been blown on him. Fortunately, as we have mentioned, one of his hands was messy with it, and he blew some on each of them, with the most superb results. Now, just wiggle your shoulders this way, he said, and let go. They were all on their beds, and gallant Michael let go first. He did not quite mean to let go, but he did it, and immediately he was borne across the room. I flewed, he screamed while still in midair. John let go and met Wendy near the bathroom. Oh, lovely, oh, ripping, look at me, look at me, look at me. They were not nearly as elegant as Peter. They could not help kicking a little, but their heads were bobbing against the ceiling, and there is almost nothing so delicious as that. Peter gave Windy a hand at first, but had to desist. Tink was so indignant. Up and down they went, and round and round. Heavenly was Wendy's word. I say, cried John, why shouldn't we all go out? Of course, it was to this that Peter had been luring them. Michael was ready. He wanted to see how long it took him to do a billion miles. But Wendy hesitated. Mermaids, said Peter again. Ooh, and are there pirates? Pirates, cried John, seizing his Sunday hat. Let's go at once. It was just at this moment that Mr. and Mrs. Darling hurried with Nana out of 27. They ran into the middle of the street to look up at the nursery window, and yes, it was still shut. But the room was ablaze with light. The most heart-gripping sight of all, they could see in shadow on the curtain three little figures in night attire, circling round and round, not on the floor, but in the air. And not three figures, four. In a tremble, they opened the street door. Mrs. Darling, Mr. Darling would have rushed upstairs, but Mrs. Darling signed him to go softly. They even tried to make her heart go softly. 
Will they reach the nursery in time? If so, how delightful for them. And we shall all breathe a sigh of relief. But there will be no story. On the other hand, if they're not in time, I solemnly promise that we'll all come right in the end. They would have reached the nursery in time had it not been that the little stars were watching them. And once again, the stars blew the window open and that smallest star of all called out, Cave, Peter! Then Peter knew that there was not a moment to lose. Come, he cried imperiously, and soared out the window into the night, followed by John and Michael and Wendy. Mr. and Mrs. Darling and Nana rushed into the nursery too late. The birds were flown. Wow. <laughs> wow, that was a long chapter. Yeah, a very long chapter, about 30 minutes worth. Oh my God, a few of you stuck with, stuck with me. Thank you. <laughs> Coming up next time, we'll do a chapter four, which is called The Flight. Dang, that was a long chapter. Okay, coffee time, and then we got to say our goodbyes. Mm. What did I miss? Uh, not too much. Um, their bots got that. Uh, Iskandar says, you sound like a narrator from a documentary. Well, I have actually done many narrations for documentaries, so maybe that's why. <coughs> oh, my. All right, guys. Thanks so much for joining. Facebook Live, we are I'm Not Wearing Pants is the page. Please like and subscribe and share. Uh, Twitch.tv, J. Sheldon No Pants. You can subscribe over there. And also, of course, uh, YouTube, where you'll find us live on, uh, on YouTube, J. Sheldon's YouTube channel. Uh, check us out there. Thank you for uh, chats and comments. Thank you so much for the, uh, for the donation here. Thank you. Uh, appreciate that very much. And um, <laughs> thanks, Invis Toby. Thank you. All right. We'll see you again on Thursday night uh, for another uh, live uh, stream on our TripleCast. And until then, we thank you so much for joining. I, I'm Jay Sheldon, and I'm not wearing pants. Good night, everybody. <laughs> <laughs>